So hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Searching for Truth. So with me today is Jay Rugani, who I have known for, I think, probably about a year. Yeah, yeah. I reckon and about, about a year, yes. Yes, yes. And I'm excited to do this interview. It's something that we've been saying we're going to do, and <clears throat> for one reason or another, it hasn't happened. And it's it's around adoption, but as I sit here talking to Jay, there's a lot I don't know about Jay's story, other than I know Jay has adopted a child, and I remember having a chat with you, Jay, and just knowing I wanted to know more, and I just knew I wanted to know more, and we were going to get together and talk about it, and <clears throat> I've had a lot of feedback on the original adoption interview that I did with Kathy. And that was um, around both of us being adopted. I think this is beautiful to be talking to a woman that has adopted a child and to hear that side of the story is, um, is a beautiful thing. So I'm so pleased to have you on Searching for Truth. Thank you, Jay. It's a pleasure, absolute pleasure. <laughs> I'm going to be learning um, a lot about you and your story along with the listeners and the watchers, which is great because I love that natural flow in everything. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> and I want to find out about you. Let's just get let's get deep if we need to. Let's just yeah, just let it out. So Jay, um. Yeah. How, firstly, just like the basics of how, how old is your daughter? You've adopted one child, haven't you? Um, yeah. How old is she? Yeah. She's going to be 16 in July. And uh, we adopted her, my husband and I, we adopted her from India. And I know some listeners may think, well, why India? At the time when we were going through the adoption process, we were advised by our adoption group, um, the council, that we needed to go abroad because they we weren't applicable for adoption in this country. There weren't enough Hindu children. We were open to um, mixed race as well, um, you know, part Indian, part whatever. And they said, no, it has to be fully Hindu, both parents, because both parents are Hindu and there aren't many children around. So you're better off going abroad. And that's where our journey started because we wanted to have no child from here ideally I know today the situation is different and you are able to come across children that are from here and the matching is similar still but not as rigid anymore because they try to place the child within the right culture that they've been born into religion if they have one um, at that time so that it the child is able to flow naturally into that home environment rather than having a big cultural difference going on on top of everything else that the child will have to experience and go through well i can really relate to that mm. um i uh, there wasn't that when i was adopted <laughs> and i and i feel um blessed because my mum saw in an article um that there was all these mixed race children that were um available if you like without adopted parents wanting them there wasn't enough black parents there wasn't white and that's why my mum adopted me so I was blessed but I didn't my mum didn't have a clue about my hair my skin my culture and she wasn't told about any of that and um yeah so my hair was my hair was washed with Timothy uh, shampoo <laughs> <God> bless you. <laughs> but you know that's all part of the learning process just because we adopted from India didn't mean that we understood everything about the ways of India although I've been there so many times I'll give you an example when Amisha first came here the first thing I needed to do was to put her in a car seat on the you know after coming off the plane to get home she refused to sit in a car seat just screamed and I actually had to hold her in the back seat in a blanket for comfort all the way home. I just thought, I really hope the police don't stop us. I really hope the police don't stop us type of thing. And then I got home and she wouldn't sit on the carpet. 
she wouldn't sit on the sofa. And I'm thinking, wow. And it, this was um, end of. So August. she would just she would just be in your arms from the sounds of things. Then she was. Yeah, and then was I she? got to realise what it was. She wasn't used to carpet. They used to sit on concrete floors. India, everything's concrete based. And the sofas, well, they don't have sofas there. You know, in the orphanage where she was, there was no sofas. They were either in their cradle, their cot, or they were playing on the floor. So, or, or you know, being seated in a swing. So I thought, okay, this is interesting. So I kind of made space, the rug got rolled up and the wooden floor was there. She started to adapt. The next bit was, it's obviously colder here. So this is my very first few days of bringing her across. It's colder here. And she really needs to wear something with sleeves because it is a little bit chillier than India. In India, we just came out from 40 degrees and here it was like 23, huge difference. And I noticed she was shivering. I tried to put a t-shirt on her. It was a short sleeve t-shirt, like up to here. She wouldn't have it. And I'm thinking, oh no. <laughs> so it was all about perseverance. And if I aimed to put a long sleeve on, she just did not, she would scream. And I was mm. just like, wow. So all the clothing aspects. So it was all about the clothing they used to wear out there which was all very sleeveless because it's so hot, very loose flowy dresses. So I went down that route of all the flowy type clothes to slowly and cotton, slowly, slowly introduce her into slightly thicker clothes for our climate. Wow. That was my first week of flying <laughs> as an adoptive mom. <laughs> Well, just like just like all moms, really, you're going to be faced with challenges, aren't you, of some sort? So, um, but yeah. So, how yeah. old how old was she when you actually got her? How right, old? we got matched when she was nine months old, and then there's a extremely lengthy process out in India to get it all formalised. So, we had it just before her first birthday, and I was very fortunate. So I lived with my uncle out there when I was there, so she was literally formalized and she came into a family home and I hired like a nanny to help me because of the ways of life in India proving quite challenging <laughs> so she really helped me because one of the things I remember she was just learning to walk and it's a concrete floor and me I was like oh my gosh, if she falls, she's going to hurt herself. So I used to get the nanny to run behind her. And obviously, Amisha would run even faster. Go, no, 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 stop, stop, stop. So it was kind of like that. So we had our first birthday in India. And then we came, once everything had been signed and sealed and, you know, completed, we brought her back to England. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, I just I just want to step back a little bit from all of that were um, and obviously don't only share what you want to share but were did you have difficulty having your own did you try to go down the road of having your own children before oh yes yeah. yes but I I had a history of endometriosis and it got quite bad you know even before we thought about adoption and I just didn't want to pump myself with chemicals I'm completely anti about any chemical stuff going into me, as you know, because of my holistic sort of upbringing. And I thought, well, no, I'm not doing it, which is why then the chances were so low because of my age, because at that time I was 40 already. And uh, the chances oh my gosh, of Jay, you look absolutely fabulous then for your age. I didn't <laughs> even realise. <laughs> Well, I'm two years away from 60 now. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I am sure I am not the only one thinking this now as I say this. You look absolutely fabulous. You really, really do. Oh, and it just shows you. then this holistic road you've been on. Um, and it's how I know you uh, through meditations and the sound bowls and everything. It's working on you, girl. Oh, yeah. I've got to keep it up, haven't I? I'm going to get that freedom pass at some point. <laughs> oh, fabulous. Uh, yeah. Um, so I had a condition, obviously, which I had to live with. And I knew that the chances of pregnancy were very low, uh, which is why I went on the adoption route. And I came from a very liberal background. So even when I was single in my 30s, um, my mum used to go, 
why don't you just go to one of those sperm things? And I'm like, no, mom. She goes, you don't need a man. I'm going, no, mom. <laughs> That's how liberal my mother was. And so, and then I recall in my 30s, I had a dream. And I think I might have shared this with you. I can't remember. And I always used to have just one desire. And that was to have a daughter of my own. And one night I had this dream and it was just so vivid that I remember it even to this day. So that's almost like 30 years later, right? <laughs> so we won't go into the age thing, but <laughs> I remember it so vividly. I was shown a face of a young child, a girl. And, and I woke up that next morning with it so clear in my mind's eye. And I thought, is that gonna be my daughter? I'm thinking, how's that going to happen, you know, and all this sort of stuff. Anyway, when when I met my husband and we decided to go on this adoption journey and we we got matched so quickly, we didn't expect it at all. We were told it takes 18 months to be matched and all that. I thought, I've got plenty of time, you know, let me just get on with my corporate world. I've got plenty of time. It'll be fine. And within like a month or so, we got matched and I was like, ah! okay 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 and we had to be there by the weekend and it's like okay India by the weekend help 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 sort everything out and got there and the lady was quite stern as they are anyway she brought Amisha in and I took one look at her and that was the face I saw in my dream oh and I was like that's, that's her that's her I didn't say anything to my husband and then she sort of gave me Amisha and I held her. And there was this instant, instant connection. It was almost like we'd always been together. And I kind of, because I believe in past lives and all of that, I know we've been connected before. And even Amisha <coughs> tells me now that she's much older, she knows we were connected before. And so I knew for sure this was gonna be my child. And no one was going to rock my boat to sort of not let this happen. And that's how our journey started. Oh, I love that. It's a good job I've got some tissues here. I'm quite emotional today. That's kind of made me feel <laughs> that's beautiful. Oh, I love that. I love that. And I really do. Um, in a book that I've just, a chapter that I've just written, there's a, there's a piece on it around um, meant to be. I do believe certain things are meant to be, are connected and one way or another with my story, things will, um, pass will meet. I believe in that. And to hear that is, and, and the fact you saw her, um, you visualized and, oh, beautiful. Yeah, same tight curly hair. I mean, it's not tight curly anymore, but she literally had tight curly hair, like really tight. I'd have to pull it out like this. And I didn't know how to manage her hair at first either. <laughs> so it was exactly the same face. It was just like my gift. And I knew I'd been blessed. So um, growing up, I, I always knew I was adopted. Um, I think because my family, uh, my mum and dad adopted and fostered, there was a singing in the, in the garden I am adopted, you are fostered. And my mom can remember this. She said, I remember you in the garden. You're probably about three, four years old. She says, I don't ever remember having to sit you down, Donna, and explain. I mean, the color of my skin was different to everyone else's, but I don't think that was an issue until old, I was older. Mm. Or, or if, I don't think I realized that. Um, I just knew. How was it with, um, with you and... Um, so your daughter's name, let me get this right, your daughter's name, so I can actually say her by her name. What's her daughter? What's your daughter? Amisha. Name? Amisha. Yeah. So um, did you have to, did you sit down with Amisha or how was it, how was it with um, telling her that she was adopted? Yeah. I mean, we were encouraged by the social services because they're involved in, on this side, of, you know, in the UK uh, for five, the first five years. So we were encouraged. It's always healthy to bring that awareness into the child as early as possible. So yeah. it's nothing unusual later on. So from literally day one, I would every so often read stories about 
her life in India and having a birth mum, although she was given up at birth, but that whole process, you know, I was, and that she's a very special child and she's come, been, you know, brought to a very special place where she's going to be taken care of and everything. And so by the age of four, she was very, very clear that she was adopted and that she didn't come out of mummy's tummy but came in a very special way to me because mummy couldn't have children in her tummy type of thing. I think the thing that really started to make that difference for her is when she came to school, when she started schooling. Because people, it's really strange how things work because although I believe she doesn't look like me, People say, oh, she really does look like you. Guys, <laughs> I'm thinking, really? <laughs> so there wasn't so much of that um, going on. And she does actually look like my nieces, which is really uncanny. You know, you think, whoa, how's that all happen? However, she had some characteristics that were really not like me at all, or my husband. And that actually started to show, like, quite stubborn in many ways, quite um stubborn quite forceful sometimes as well and I kind of recognized this as very much a trait from certain communities in India so it was like okay this is starting to shine and then there were things like she's very musical she can literally sit and just play a tune without really learning music and there was all these kind of extra qualities she had. And I would always be able to say, actually, you know what? That's because in India, so many people are musical. They, in India, people will walk around and just sing. They sing, you know, Bollywood is the biggest thing out there. Everyone's got Bollywood in their blood kind of thing. And this little daughter of ours was very much like that. <laughs> Not so much now, but very much like that. She could say the words, she would sing, she would play instruments. And I thought, I wish I was like that. <laughs> but I, obviously as a mother, you embrace that. Yeah. So <clears throat> I think that's where she began to realize that actually, you know, what? I've got different qualities from my parents, but that's okay. And um, then her friends started to, you know, they had this thing at school, in primary school, where bring out your baby photos and bring them to school. And that's where it all started to really come to the surface because we were only given two photos of her. One was her wrapped all in this cotton blanket thing. And another one was of her taken sitting just on a concrete floor, looking absolutely beautiful. So the one was at birth, and the other one was um, a little bit older. And I said, I've only got these two photos, Amisha. And she goes, well, I don't want to take them. And I said, but why? I said, they're of you when you were little. She goes, no, because you're not in it. And I said, yes, but we have photos of us as a family, but from the age of just before you were one. So take that as well. Now, obviously, the school were aware she was adopted because I think it's really important to just keep that in their focus just in case there's some kind of behavioral things that happen and so forth and I just reached out to them and said look I know you're doing this baby stuff but Amisha doesn't have a lot and I think it's rattled her a little bit so if you could just be a bit more calmer about it and care cautious as to how you deal with it and they were amazing and that's when Amisha openly admitted to the class she was adopted wow she just said I just have to do it so people did start to see her as adopted and they would ask lots of questions and she would freely kind of speak about it however I think as they get older especially in Amisha's case she didn't want to talk about it anymore because there was something starting to brew inside and she didn't want to talk about it and that really came towards the latter years of primary school so I'm talking about the age of 9, 10, 11 when they can really kind of cognitively really start to piece things together and she would hide that fact completely to the point where she didn't even want the school to know 
And I know she's not the only one because we run a support group for adopted uh, parents who've adopted from India. And there's, I don't know how many families, at least 100 in there. And there are many children now that are in their teens. So we've seen them grow up through the process. We've seen the challenges and every child is different, but there are many children that don't want to be able, who do not want people to know they're adopted. And that in itself <clears throat> brings a lot of other emotions up as well later yeah. on. And we can talk about that as well. Yeah. yeah. So that was really the, I suppose, the turning point Yeah. for us. Yeah, and I can kind of um, relate to it a little bit um, myself, um, the age that I remember looking, and it's really a, a strong memory. I remember being in class, it was primary school, so it would have been, things were different then for me. It was year, wasn't year one, two, three, four, five. That was like the last year of primary, mm. so year six. So yeah, 10, 11, my son's age actually. And um, I remember staring out of the window, looking out onto the playing field and just really feeling a sadness of why, why, why isn't anyone else like this? Why feeling really alone and different? Because hmm. I was also dealing with the fact that my skin color was different to everybody else's. I was adopted, no one else was adopted. People that knew were intrigued and wanting to know more. But I guess as they're asking you more questions, there's a lot you don't know yourself about where you're from and all this. So it starts bringing it to the surface. And yeah, so I can, yeah, uh, I think that's, you know, you've hit the nail on the head. It's about why am I different? I, I am different. People are seeing me as different. And then eventually you don't want to be different. You just, just want to, say. you just want to be accepted as part of everybody else the same. And that's when they, you know, in Amisha's case, she's like, no, I'm holding this close to my heart. I don't want people to know. Yeah. Yeah. I'll come, I'm going to move on from that in a minute. But before that, I think it was plainly obvious that she was stubborn from when, she, when you first got her. <laughs> <laughs> Very free spirit. Very free. Yeah. And, and still continues to be a free spirit. But there's, there's a beauty in that as well. Because she will, she, she's, um, what I've come to realise over the years, and it's partially probably because of the work I do as well, she is so connected, so grounded, and she's actually what I would call an old wise soul. Gives me wisdom when I should really know it. <laughs> oh, that is that's just beautiful. It's amazing. Yeah. And she's um she's um she's 16. We're gonna backtrack because I really want to know about from what where we've just spoken to, to now. Um for me, soon after that point, I've told you when I was at primary school, 11, 12, um just horrendous. Mm. Uh, the teenage uh, hormones kicking in. I had other things going on as well, as, as some people watching or listening will already know. Um, so that didn't help. Um, but I think because of something like this, feeling different can almost attract other things coming into your life because your self-esteem, you're feeling low, you're feeling rejected, you're feeling this. And just for me, it was horrendous. My whole teenage years were like... Mm you know so um i'm keen to find out how uh amisha and yourself because my mum actually said to me donna everything was lovely and then you turned 12. <laughs> kind of resonate with that <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, uh, i think for um yes once we got into high school which is 12 Things started to change because Amisha really didn't want anyone to know her background at all, which is okay. But again, we have to let the schools know because of you know certain things that may come up. And I think the biggest thing that started to arise was the whole thing about her birth parents. It has been so strong. Not so much now, we're kind of getting over that tipping point. Um, but it was phenomenally strong about the birth parents. 
and it started from well who are they um i don't know anything about them what do you know and we don't know anything either they don't disclose anything to us they'll disclose to her at a given age legal age in india have i got siblings and she really wanted siblings but unfortunately it just didn't work out for us to have a second one and part of that was my age as well and what had happened at that time and so we had all of this going on felt like I suppose a little bit like the lonely child syndrome, one child in the family. We had all of that to experience as well. And the more she delved deeper into that, the more difficult it became. And you can kind of understand it from both ends because for her, it was, and will probably always be until she actually either meets them or finds out more about them. There's that missing jigsaw puzzle piece missing in her, her overall life. And for us, it was like, well, how do we support her? Because we're, we're aiming to give as much as we can, not just materialistically, because I don't believe that that answers the question for her. It's about love, giving her complete un unconditional support and love. And like we said right at the beginning, sometimes it just doesn't feel like it's enough. And I can totally understand for some people, some families, it will be, it will be perfect. Their child will, you know, their adopted child will embrace that and move forward and have no questions to ask about their birth parents. For others, it's a big, big hurdle, really big hurdle. And she had so many questions, which we couldn't answer, have no idea. And we just had to be there for her and listen and support her in whichever way it needs to be. And, you know, social services were very good as well because it's obviously an age which comes up for them with a lot of adopted children. And they were very supportive as well. And plus our adoption support group we had reached out to, well, I reached out to a number of parents that had children of similar age, but I already knew because they'd approached me. So we kind of support one another. And it was all about also the children connecting at that age group, within that age, that boundary, like the teenage ages, so that they can share and support one another. Because no one knows their story more than children that have come from the same place, same up beginning of life. They will be the only ones that will really ever, ever be able to understand what it's like for them. So I'm very careful with my words with Amisha, even to this day, it's, I hear you, I can be with you in every way, and I'm, I, I do understand what you're saying, but I can never really understand it, because I've not been in those shoes. Do you know what? My mum said similar thing to me and it's one of those moments that I'll never, ever forget. So I know she was speaking the right words and it's just what you said there. It was um, it was actually to do with being bullied and um, being the race card was thrown at me. I was, you know, and I remember running home and, you know, uh, crying. And, and my mum just sat me down and said those words, you know, I'm 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 here love you and I'll, I'll never know what you're going through I have the most respect for that and I'm so even at that age that meant a lot that she was she was there for me but she was acknowledging that she she wouldn't she doesn't understand what I'm going through but she's there for me mm. and that really meant a lot to the point yeah. that I remember it and I think I've blocked out a lot of stuff from my childhood so I know that it's, it was obviously a big thing if I remember mm. yeah but I think as soon as, you know, and even from what I've heard from other parents, as soon as you aim to say, yeah, I totally understand, you know, that kind of attitude, it just heightens their emotions so much. How can you even begin to understand? It's not you, it's me. How do you know? And it, it, it's, it's a very dangerous territory to be on. <laughs> can I go that way or that way? <laughs> So you have to come from a place of just being compassionate yeah. and supporting them. And even if it means that they turn around, Amisha's never actually said this, but I've heard stories from other parents where the child actually turns around and says, I don't love you. I don't, you know, I'm beginning. 
to the point where sometimes they turn around and say, I hate you. I said it. And, and that does it. happen in birth children, obviously, as well. Yeah. And it can be so painful for any parent to hear that. When you know you're giving completely unconditionally, I think you just have to let them ride those emotions through as best as possible and be there to receive them at yeah. the other end when they've expressed and let go. Yeah. However that may be. <clears throat> when you're, you're talking there about this age of um, starting secondary school, and for me, that's when the wanting to find out about my birth mum, find out what she looked like, it got, it really got quite intense for me. I was, I, and I, and I would say things like that. It's your fault for adopting me. You know, if you hadn't have adopted me, then maybe I'd still be with my mum. I hate mm -hmm. you and all of this, you know, all these hormones and the anger was coming out. There was this, this desperate wanting to, 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 to find her and to know what she looked like. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, um, I, and, but there was, there was like an open door in a way. I knew that my mom um, had to give me up and couldn't cope. There's a little bit I knew. And so I can only imagine what it must be like for children where they, you know, perhaps there's no news. There's no news at all. And, you know, I, I don't know. It, oh, I can't. I, I think from our point of view, we've had to keep it very open. So manage the expectation because for a child, you can imagine for many, they will just want to know their birth parents and know that they're like this and like that and they'll embrace them and, you know, take them back in as a family member and all of that. And we know as adults who've gone through life experiences, it's never going to necessarily be that easy. So I know for me, when I, when I do, when we do openly talk now that Amisha's more older, but it started around about the age of 12, it's about, we don't know the circumstances, Amisha. You know, it could be, because the question is, why was I given up? Why? The I don't know why. I don't actually know why. However, you know, it could be because they couldn't afford to have a child. They wanted a better future for the child. It could be it was a single mum. Could be that maybe one of the parents died, or you know, we just don't know the circumstances. And I know now that Amisha's like 15, 16, coming on to 16. Some of the stuff that's come up is like obviously of the maturity. Well, if they knew that there was a possibility of getting pregnant, why even go down that route if you're not going to be able to keep the child? Which we totally understand, because that's kind of common sense type of thing, isn't it? You know, there is such things as, and I won't put the words in, and I'm going, yes, I know, Amisha. And it takes two to make a baby all that kind you know so you can feel the frustration coming up now and you know they could have terminated the pregnancy why take it through that's it could be a cultural thing i don't know but it's not always finding answers because there are no simple answers but it's being able to listen to what is being voiced vocally because it's obviously going on in their head and i think for for many adopted children it's that whole identity thing that starts to it the whole it, because this kind of came in at the age of 12 who am I what's my background why am I like this you know why do I have these qualities why do I have these characteristics and all of that and it's what's their identity and that's exactly what Amisha has often talked about my identity uh, and I try and use wise words like create your own identity but not quite like that with a laughing tone but you know your identity is what you make it and she goes no mum my birth identity and I'm going okay and it's very challenging it can be extremely challenging whereas we have another family who have an adopted daughter doesn't want to know at all about her birth side not at all she doesn't care she's very very happy just goes with the flow 
interesting isn't it yeah. yeah and is that the same sort of sort of setup as you with uh this a family from india and yeah. yeah one child wow just a year older it's interesting yeah because I, I I've compared with my cousin um who was adopted and yeah she just absolutely she was the only child into this family and no desire whatsoever and I and I thought oh well maybe because you know maybe if she'd been mixed race like me she would have wanted to find out more and who knows but it's just some souls are different yeah. and yeah I, I, yeah, I, yeah, identity. They might be searching for that missing piece forever. Who knows, you know, um, or at least get some answers. And I know you've spoken earlier before we came on live that there's um, a particular lady you know that hasn't been able to find any information about her birth parents. And the chances are in certain countries around the world, you know, we have a very good recording system here of birth and where people live and electoral roll and all that and it is it's a little bit easier to track people down but somewhere like india it's got billions of people there isn't really a proper system there are birth records and everything but people move from state to state it's a bit like america people move from different states and who's recording that how are we going to actually even begin to track her birth parents down. And in India also, like in many other countries, if you are pregnant and say, for example, you don't want people to know, you'll move to another state into a women's home, what they call like a women's home, to go through your pregnancy, to deliver, give up the child, and then go back to your state wherever you are. So it's kind of hidden away. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the birth may be, for example, registered as within the district of Maharashtra, which is Mumbai and all of that whole area. But they could be from up north, a totally different state. Yeah. So it's so difficult. And I think it's managing that expectation without giving too much information. It's like it's a huge country. It's not proper systems in place. We will do our best. Always come. I've always supported her that we will do our best. If you want us to come with you, we will be there for you as mm. part of that journey to and find out as much as we can. Yeah, I think that's beautiful. Um, and I mean, I, 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 there was um, a door open uh, for me, as in my mum uh, worked with social services, with foster carers um, and foster uh, children. So I begged and begged and begged for my mum to get a picture. And she absolutely thought she was doing the right thing for me because she could see the pain and the heartache that I was going through. But that picture was the beginning of my trauma, really, because the picture was opened up the, the the whole road of me finding out that my mum was dead wow. you never know what you're going to find exactly and that that even for me is a little bit scary being an adopted mum supporting her through that journey what are we really going to find out is it going to be a positive outcome in, in a healthy way or is it going to be some very sad news because I know I would be heartbroken you know, I can't even imagine what a child would feel like. I mean, I, um, I actually, when I found out that my mum was dead, I hugged the social worker and not my mum and dad. And I look back now and I think, how must they have felt then? Mm. You know, because they were going through their own thing with this as well and trying to do the right thing. And mm. this is what came out of it, you know, and yeah, even now I don't really talk to my mom and dad about it because my dad's very emotional and my mom, I don't want to go back. I don't want to take them back. Now. Yeah. You know, I, mean, I, just, I actually feel yeah. my heart's feeling heavy at the moment because that whole, what could be, you know, what you've just talked about, is just so heavy. Yeah. Emotionally, very, very heavy. Yeah. To deal with. 
I mean, what I'm getting now, a lot of people, especially from this video that I've mentioned that's doing well on, on YouTube around all of my story, um, yeah. people are coming to ask, asking me, you know, what do I do? How do you know this is what's going on? And, and I just feel because we don't, nobody knows what they're going to find. Mm. And I think you've got to be prepared. You've got to be almost prepared for the worst. So how do you prepare yourself for the worst? You get yourself sorted first. You get loving yourself first. Because I know for a fact that I went through many years of feeling like there was a massive hole in me. There was something massively missing. And that piece was me that was missing. I thought it was all these external things that I needed to find. And thankfully, I'm blessed. I found so much of my family, which is brilliant. But actually... The most important piece was me. Yeah. And so I'm trying to kind of work with that, with helping others, because you just don't know what, when you pull that curtain open, when, you're, when, when the time comes and you get that chance, you don't know what's going to be on the other side. And if you're not whole in yourself, then, yeah, that's going to rock your world. And you need to be ready for that. Yeah, absolutely. And for some kids, it may be that they might find out and they don't really care. It will be the approach where you left me. And these are my parents. And, you know, I we have other adopted adults now in our family. They are adults who have children of their own and very mixed. Some really don't care about their birth parents because their adopted parents are the ones that brought them up. Whereas others have gone searching and been disappointed because they have families of their own. And maybe there's hidden stories that haven't really been openly shared with their children. You know, there's so much there because it's like, as you know, we're all interconnected. So there's so much there. And, how, and I think the more exploration one can do to search for that identity and bring it as whole as possible and as strong as possible as an individual seeds you better for the future. Yeah. However that may be, through whatever practices, through talking or, you know, doing some other extra activities, whatever it is, and it's also about speaking up. There's nothing worse, for me, I believe there's nothing worse in keeping all your emotions inside yeah. because we you know you and I both know the impact that can have at an emotional mental physical level yeah be expressive say what you need to as a parent you just got to be there and take the punches whether they're verbal physical just take the punches at that moment in time I'm not I'm not you know saying that physical violence is acceptable but in those moments when a child has a tantrum you've got to let them release the tantrum is a release yeah. of what's building up inside yeah. they scream and shout let them scream and shout just be there along that journey painful as a parent very painful to see I, I think um, it sounds as though, you know, you've, you've got this, there is this support for adopted, uh, for parents that have adopted. Um, until I've spoken to you just now, I didn't know about that. I've sort of, I've not really thought too much about it, but the more I'm talking to you, the more I'm feeling that this is really important because, you know, to, to be able to talk to other uh, and to get this sort of this advice and this, because otherwise, how would you know? You, you're probably going to, a lot of, we're all human. You know, if your child that you've adopted, that you've loved and you've done all this for, then starts throwing all these things at you and shouting all these things at you, it's going to hurt. Mm. How do we as humans know that how to react to that without, you know? <laughs> yeah. I think, I mean, from what I know, there are support groups for um, parents that have adopted from China. We're the support group for India. There, there's Russia, you know, there are other support groups out there. And obviously it's under the council scheme, there's support groups within social services, particularly for teenagers now. They've noticed 
this whole area of what happens when they get into the teenage world and adolescence and you know hormones are raging on top of the identity they need to speak to one another and it's a support group to speak with others that are in the same boat as them not about work talking to someone who has no idea of what it's like to be an adopted child it's about talking with other adopted children and sometimes it works well you know like within our support group it works well they will they will home in and connect with a couple of the kids you know in the group and they will share the way they share with them it's not the same way they will share with children that are from natural birth and living with their birth parents because there's certain things that they will never understand about what say someone like Amisha's going through and I think that's the biggest thing by having that kind of extra support the option is there for them to share those deepest things and it may well be I know in our case there's been a couple of things and one of the guys has turned around to her like he's a really good family friend they're just like brothers and sisters said just go with it just deal with whatever's coming up it's okay I'm here for you now isn't that a nice thing to hear from another adopted child who's of a similar age and because they're so close as friends yeah I love that yeah I think I could have really done with that myself um I had my cousin who was just like just totally different to me had no no um thoughts feelings at all um in fact, in fact I think it was the opposite for her I think she just didn't you know it was like oh I don't even want to go there you know I don't even want to think about that you know it was mm-hmm. just, so well she wasn't the right person to talk to but I can see now how that would have helped I mean I ran away at I ran I left home at 17 I'll say I kind of ran away really because my mum and dad didn't really know where I was going but I just left I went to <laughs> London and um yeah scared the hell out of them for four years uh, yeah so and it was because I had you know I didn't have that didn't have anyone to talk to I felt very alone so I can imagine yeah. that that is at that age very important yeah I would really encourage if there are families out there that have adopted to find that kind of support you know there will be support around for them to connect with other adopted children if they so wish to yeah I never believe in forcing and as a parent and as an adoptive parent, I always feel, not that I should, but I do. Um, I'm not sure if I'm in the right place and if it's the right thing to do, but I'm extra cautious about certain things simply because Amisha is adopted. It doesn't mean I give her extra allowances or, or you know, um, and stuff like that. Not, I'm not talking about financial allowances. I'm talking about behavioural allowances and stuff like that. no way it's not about that it's about choosing my words carefully especially when subjects are quite delicate it's because for me it's about just understanding where she is in her life and coming from a place of just meeting her halfway and that's always in the back of my mind when we have some very deep conversations. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. So, yeah. Difficult, but, you know, get used to it. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's beautiful. And, and, and as I said um, before about, um, uh, for me, my mum washing my hair in Timote and she didn't know about my skin, the one thing that I had, which you can't buy, you can't, you just, is love. You know, I had that love from my mum. And I stood up in court for uh, my now goddaughter, who's now 30. <laughs> um, so I was 18 at the time. I actually came back from London to do this and stood up in court for her because she's black. She's uh, Her mum was mixed race and her dad was black. So... Um, she's black and they tried to get her adopted after leaving her with a foster home uh, a white foster home for meant to be for six months it was for three years 
And then after three, four years, they wanted to take her away just because there was another family where the, the father figure was mixed race. They were going to take her out of this home that she was extremely attached to for four years into this new placement just because of the colour of her skin. And I stood up in court and fought for this. And I remember with passion talking about what was most important was love and sharing my story. So as much as I was messed up still at 17, 18, I was still like, and we won the case. She won the case and she's my goddaughter now. Just imagine the upheaval in that person's life, that child's life, uprooting them again. And what I have found, and I'm glad you've mentioned that about the uprooting, because some of the things that we notice with adopted children, especially I can only talk from a place of the ones that have been adopted from India. And as you know, that's not just that, because I know a few that have been adopted here, is this whole thing of stability and security. It does come up in very organic ways in conversation the you know the vulnerability of change they don't like change they don't embrace it as quickly um so even things like moving home it's like a, it these are big things for them not for all the children but definitely i can speak for a number of them that whole thing about moving home moving school um losing friendship is huge absolutely huge because the way i see it from within a child who has had a difficult start in life because that's what it is it's a difficult start is what was stable gets changed they have to stay you know they have to find that sense of stability again doesn't matter how young they are it's still going to affect them they're going to have to feel that sense of security there's you know and with that there's the whole aspect of attachment which is so big attachment you know just very very challenging at times and that goes not just with parent attachment it also goes with friend attachments they're in a circle lose that through schooling and it can be very, very upsetting for them. I believe more so than, you know, what I would call, you know, someone who's within their birth family. Yeah. There's this real strong thing about attachment and insecurity that does well up. Yeah. And how they find that over time is like you say, finding yourself again. And also what comes later in life for them to make them as whole as possible. Well, I have absolutely no doubt that the stability and the security and the love that my family, my mom and my dad and the home unit gave me. As much as it was crazy, there was kids everywhere and they was like, because I was the only girl, so, you know, there was never... Um, I always had someone in my bedroom because, you know, um, I might think I've got the room to myself. And then the next morning there'd have been an emergency foster. <laughs> and they'd be like, oh, hello. You know, <laughs> as crazy as our house was, you know, I had love, I had security, I had stability. And I have no doubt, Jay, I would not be here doing this podcast. In, uh, you know, I've got a, a lovely husband, my son, family doing all right got a few issues here with this that and whatever obviously as we all do but I'm doing all right and I know that that stability that love that security that my mom gave me from the age of four months old is massively contributed to this you know if not everything Uncond and unconditional love means a hell of a lot to me because yeah, that's like what they rock isn't it it's like your rock yeah, which I think they appreciate a lot later, not necessarily while going through the growing up yeah. aspect as much. And there's something I want to um, just quickly mention for being an adopted parent. And that is that there are times it's going to be really challenging, really hard, and you do doubt yourself. 
in the process that have what could I have done differently how could I do more is it not enough all of those sort of questions because there will be times when it could be challenging for others it may not be it may be absolutely plain sailing and I wish them all the very best because that's an amazing place to be but for those that find it challenging and you begin to doubt your own ability as a parent all I would say is just stay stay with it and keep supporting the child because they're they haven't gone through their life lessons yet to come from a place of maturity to actually appreciate what you're doing as an adopted parent. You know, if you come from that place of compassion and unconditional love, it will be recognized later on in life. Whether you want the recognition or not, this is not talking about wanting recognition. It's about knowing you did your absolute best and you gave that 101%. So you never have a, an element of doubt later on in life that I could have done it differently. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. And um, from um, an adoptee's point of view, I'd like to share that, you know, sometimes it might be years later before you get to really understand and be able to really put the pieces together. Now, I am so grateful to my birth mum for giving me up for adoption because I now know what she was going through because I've met my brother and he was with her and I now realize that she oh she saved me she saved me by giving me up for adoption and I'm so so grateful to her and I can't imagine what it must have been like to give me away that you know Whereas when I was going through adolescence, when I was even in my 20s and even 30s, I wasn't thinking like this at all. So it may be a while. And throughout this journey of, of this, I've started to find myself, true self-love within myself. And there lies forgiveness. Yeah. And so I guess in this message that I'm leaving after yours is, is, is to drive hope. Just don't ever give up on that hope and belief that everything is exactly as it should be. And just, you know, throughout your journey, wherever you are, just be searching for yourself. Because that's the thing with this. I think a lot of the pain comes from the fact that you feel rejected. Mm. But by opening the curtain, you may find even more rejection. So therefore, to protect yourself, find love within yourself because it's there and there yeah. you can't be, you can't be hurt so much and just keep going and believing that everything happens for a reason. Hmm. I mean, I strongly, you know, for me, it's a beautiful journey and I wouldn't have it any other way. I just love it. Well, we are going to end um, with an angel reading fantastic <laughs> I always get so excited when I uh, when I do this um and uh, I mean you know the angel cards I don't know how many there are so if there's, there's so many of them there's so many and um the first card I just love this the first card is the angel of eternal love oh wow <laughs> <laughs> That is amazing. It's beautiful, isn't it? Oh. Just, just so beautiful. Oh. I mean, they're just, I mean, I mean, the thing is, there's there's all all angel cards are positive and beautiful, but you've got lots of realms of cards which are service and guardian angels of children and all of this. But then you've got certain cards like eternal love. The second card, the angel of harmony. And the third card, oh, the angel of trust. 
Oh, so these were the that. three cards that have been pulled out of all of the angels. Now there is one card, the overall, I always turn the cards over. This is what I've always done. Um, I've always just, after cutting the cards and choosing the three, I've always turned the card over and always looked at this card as being like an overall card of the reading. Now um, I'm gonna look into more of this and I may share it in the outro that I speak because um, it's the angel prince of the south so all I can go on here is which is beautiful but there'll be more to share with this is I let go of all pain and tension as I float in the sea of divine love but I want to find out more about this because you've got the north the south the east the west and um you know, some of sensation, some of this feelings. And I don't know, I'm not a medium. I just, so, but beautiful. Well, all those cards actually summarize what we've actually spoken about. They do, totally. Which is yeah. perfect ending to this yeah. podcast. <laughs> which means that we've all spoke very authentically and we've come from the heart. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's what other people ideally need to just follow follow your journey yeah. trust in it come from compassion with unconditional love is what that says yeah absolutely yeah. absolutely um if anybody wants to sort of know a little bit more about um you've mentioned uh, support for um for parents adopted parents i mean i can leave some information in the show notes and in the comments um but are you happy to for people to go and have a look at what you do as well, Jay? Um, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, you know, we're here to help in any way we can. You know, for me, and the more people's hearts we touch and allow them to grow in whatever's meant to be, the better for everyone. Well, I will just say because I haven't said much about 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 you and what you do, but I've been to some amazing sound healing sessions with you. And um, I think it's, yeah, it's, uh, it goes with your spirit, Jay, really. You've got such a lovely spirit that's come out today and you do such a wonderful thing, helping to support other people's minds and spirits. Thank you, Donna. I really appreciate that. And I'm so glad we've met along the journey because what you do as well is about bringing so many different facets of life into people's awareness giving them the opportunity to home in and where they really need the support and guidance. It's available through the work you do. And so I encourage you to keep doing more of it. You know, just touch everyone's lives that you come across in a really positive way and know that, that there are people out there who are always willing to help. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And I'm sure there will be people that watch this and hopefully get something from it from themselves, whether you are adopted yourself or thinking of adopting. So a lot of support here for parents thinking of adopting mm -hmm. and for yeah. parents that have adopted that are maybe going through some of the stages we've talked about. So thank you very much for sharing. And yeah. um, hopefully this is going to help a lot of people. Well, I actually had someone actually message me yesterday He's out in India at the moment, donating in all different causes. And he put one up, at, he was at an orphanage and they, they wanted, they had eight children given up and they're left at the doorstep. They don't even have any record of who the parents are. And there's one picture that I saw and my heart just went, I had to take a deep breath. It's, they've, they've got the, the metal gaze and within that, they've got a little metal cot, uh, cot with a mattress so the parent can leave the child safely in that cot without anyone knowing who they are to be given up. Wow. And I was just like, can I have one of those? Oh. Have one of the children, please. But obviously I'm too old now. Oh. <laughs> well. So that, that kind of really, like only yesterday, and he said, you know what? There's a couple that have only asked me two days ago, we need help, we, we want to adopt. Who can we approach? And he goes, can I give them your number? And I said, yes, of course you can, anytime. 
Well, can we leave some information as well? Um, can you give me some information? Because sure. that's what we want, you know, we want, yeah. yeah. And I will share that little photograph with you because it's in another language, so not many people can understand where it is, but it's in India. But it's just the way the gates are with that little cot embedded in. And it just, it kind of rips something inside. It's like, I just want to help all eight babies. Just want to help everyone, don't we? Just want to... <laughs> exactly. Oh, well, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for asking me to come on this. And my only wish is that I just hope some people could get some nuggets out of here to better their life in whichever way, whatever path they're on right now. Yeah, I think they will. Thank you, Jay. Thank, Thank you. you. You're right. Take care. Bye.